sharing an ancient miracle story. The story comes from the Christian scriptures, the Gospel of John specifically. Though one need not be Christian nor to believe in miracles for this to be a valuable story, at least in my experience. The story is about a man named Lazarus who Jesus raises from the dead. Actually, it begins with rather a humorous interchange. Jesus tells his disciples, we have to go. Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples say, if he is only sleeping, Lord, we can certainly wait until tomorrow, which will teach Jesus not to use euphemisms for death. He meant, of course, that Lazarus had died. Arriving with his disciples at the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Jesus says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is known for being the shortest verse in the Bible, and it appears in this story, just something to file away for the next game of Bible trivia you will no doubt be playing at some point. Jesus wept, and then he said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Now, Martha very practically, very realistically advises against trying to do anything at this point. Not only is Lazarus dead, but there is a stench from a four-day dead body that nobody would choose to be around. And then Jesus performs the miracle. He cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Amazing, right? A miracle. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. But wait, the dead man is still wrapped in the grave cloths? Unbind him, you say? Get close to that body that's been dead for four days? Gee, couldn't you have taken care of all this as long as you were performing a miracle anyway? (laughs) You'll notice Jesus didn't say to Martha, Oh, you're concerned about the smell? No worries, I got this. Presumably, Lazarus smelled precisely the way Martha predicted he would. Lazarus didn't come out from that tomb all shiny, clean, and transformed, didn't come out accompanied by heavenly angels with a glowing countenance. He came out with his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth, and he needed others. Jesus called on those present to get to work to unbind him. Not very glamorous work. Aaron Doherty found a pair of sparkling blue earrings in a muddy silk purse on Butterfly Beach in Montecito, California. She posted those on Facebook. You heard the story and was able to pass them on to a woman who recognized them as her mother's. But what I love is what Aaron did afterward. 
Now, I can't tell exactly from the story just how Aaron found the initial muddy silk purse with the earrings inside. I am imagining it may have been in the midst of a walk on the beach, perhaps. Something catches her eye, and she retrieves it, posts it on Facebook, and incredibly connects with this grateful daughter. A miracle, one might say. But what does she do having witnessed this miracle? Does she say, you know, I'll keep my eyes open as I'm walking down the beach for more items that may present themselves? No. This miracle gave her an idea of the things that may be found in the mud and the muck if they worked at it, buried in those tons of mud and muck. And she, along with others, in the words of poet Marge Piercy, began to strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward. You can't be afraid of getting dirty, she says. The mud smells. It has got stuff packed into it. Everything is at the mercy of this mud. The miracle did not clean things up. Rather, it invited people to dive in. The people we are getting the items back to are just so unbelievably grateful to have one thing, Doherty said. We are looking for the possible in an impossible situation. The miracle of the sparkling blue earrings and the muddy silk purse provided an awareness of what was possible in an impossible situation, provided a new awareness of what was possible if people were willing to work together. Everything we do here is about finding what is possible when people work together. Everything we do here relies on the work of the people who gather here in the sanctuary and online. We have a staff team, yes, a brilliant staff team of talented and dedicated individuals. It is, however, a relatively small staff team, and everyone on it besides me is in a part-time position. This means that everything else is done by individuals like all of you who gather here today. It relies on your willingness to say, yes, I can do that. Think of just this morning, the people who greet you at the door with a smile and an order of service, who find you a name tag, who bring the joys and sorrows forward and collect the offering each and every week we need people there. Our Zoom hosts like Eric today who welcome and connect with the congregation online, our hymn leaders like Don, musicians like Steve, worship associates like Jan. And after the service, there will be coffee. I wonder how that happens. <laughs> it's a miracle, right? People like you all who volunteer to be there to do it. Everything we do here relies on the work of the people who gather. That is why we move so quickly from good morning, come in, to would you be willing? Why we move so quickly from enjoy the music, 
Would you like to sing in the choir? Do you play an instrument? Why we move so quickly from welcome to would you like to serve on our welcome teams and welcome others? These tasks are not submerging in the mud and the muck, although there are those tasks around here that can get messy. They are not unwrapping grave cloths. They may seem even mundane at first glance. They are not that. Or rather, if they are mundane tasks, they are also much, much more. You may have heard this quote from theologian Howard Thurman. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I like that. I've used it in sermons. I believe it. And... There is something just a little troubling about it if it is not unpacked, if it is not put in context with real life. One might get the impression, for instance, that though right now what seems to be needed is that the social hall be cleaned up and the dishwashers loaded and some extra tables put away, I'm just not feeling like those tasks would really make me come alive. (laughs) So I will leave that for someone else. You see what I mean? When Thurman talks about doing those things that make you come alive, I don't think he means doing only those things we want to on a superficial level. I don't think he means avoiding those things we think might be unpleasant. I don't think he's advising us to stay away from the mundane, routine, humble tasks that need to be done by someone in most every area of life. In fact, he starts with the assumption that we may not know what makes us come alive. Ask yourself, he said, what makes you come alive? Ask yourself, not about your personal preferences or inclinations, which always sit right there on the surface of our minds and are easily available to us at any moment. Ask yourself a deeper question. What makes you come alive? And when Marge Piercy and Aaron Doherty and Jesus are suggesting to us is that there in the mud and the muck, in the unpleasant task of unwrapping smelly cloths of death, in harnessing ourselves to hard and humble tasks, in pulling and straining and doing what has to be done again and again and again and again every week again, In going into the dusty fields to harvest, working the rows, passing the bags, moving in rhythm, what they are suggesting is that right there in the midst of the messy and the mundane and the sometimes monotonous, we may find what makes us come alive. Never would have thought, never would have chosen, and yet we come alive. I'm guessing Aaron wasn't walking down the beach thinking, you know what would really make me come alive? Getting shoulders deep into all that mud and muck. Really diving into all that smelly, gross stuff. No. But once she understood the meaning for people of what was buried in it, then yes. 
Yes, that made her come alive. I'm guessing the people in Lazarus's village were not saying to themselves, you know what would really make us come alive if we could get our hands on some smelly, tattered grave cloths and spend a little time just unwinding them. No, but when they could see that there was a living person wrapped up in those cloths, then yes. Yes, I can't help but imagine that that made them come alive. Witnessing what may be called miracles does not relieve us from the responsibility of doing the work, but rather raises our awareness of what is possible if we jump into the work headfirst. Most of the opportunities we offer are not glamorous work. Making coffee on Sundays, we would love for you to participate in that and would love for someone to come forward who would be willing to coordinate those volunteers, keep an eye on supplies, etc. Helping with our food share on Wednesday afternoons or someone with an appropriate vehicle who could help pick up food on some weeks from the food bank. Volunteering with our friends at Shower the People who set up in our parking lot on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Joining the welcome team, being a worship associate. There is no way I can list all the opportunities nor provide details at this time or we would be here a lot longer than you wish to be. But feel free to contact me or Larry Iaquinta, a new member of our staff team, our membership coordinator, and we will connect you with the right people. The people I love the best, writes Marge Piercy, do what has to be done again and again. You are those people. It is not glamorous work, not immediately connected maybe to what makes you come alive, but let me tell you, I have seen miracles. By miracles, I mean unexpected, unpredictable, transformative experiences in the lives of individuals. I have seen miracles happen here. And they were not the result of some divine lightning bolt or brought forth through some magical incantation. They arose as a result of the people who choose to carry out all the many tasks who dive into the work that makes this place, this space, these connections available year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day. These miracles I speak of would not have happened without all the work that too often gets ignored or dismissed as trivial, that too often is carried out by a small group of people. These miracles happened and will happen again because of the people who do the work. We cannot offer you glamorous work, but it is work that is real. It is real. And I can promise you joy in the work. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to romanticize this at the last minute. I can also promise you at various times frustration and exhaustion and hurt feelings and discouragement because work is, well, work. And people are 
Well, people. But that's part of the blessing, too. We are working together. It is one thing to steel ourselves to dive into the mud and the muck, but it is another to have someone to do it with, to laugh with when the smell overcomes us, to complain to when the heat grows intense, to encourage and be encouraged by when it all feels hopeless, to celebrate with when the work is done for now, for today. Relationships often grow from engaging a task together, finding that common rhythm, feeling the satisfaction of what we can offer and watching how that is multiplied in community. It is powerful to know that we are connected in mystery and miracle to this community and to one another and to those who preceded us here and those yet to come. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. The pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. And believe me, we have some real work ahead and you are all welcome to join in. For that is what keeps our mission alive and the flame of this chalice alive. We will let it 